0: Beginning.
1: This is going to change our lives, it really is, and it's going to be by far mostly for the better and the good. For many of the students and faculty working on this. The thing which they're really rolling up their sleeves at the moment for is to
2: save, in some cases, hundreds, in some cases millions of lives through the use of technology. Existential questions of the possibilities of uh, superhuman robots are up there. To
1: make medical devices safer and work better, make better decisions, to empower those that don't have the resources to talk to the best doctors or whatever to be able to still make those kinds of decisions. I don't think we have anything to worry about in the extremely near future in terms of machines taking over. There's a lot more positive potential to make cars safer. Very exciting. It is moving fast. I'm not concerned about downloading my consciousness today. I don't know if that might not happen for a hundred years. I will never say never. Autonomous weapons
0: means the ability of a machine to choose its own targets, to decide where to go, what's the target, and to attack the target by itself.
1: I think Britain is brilliant.
0: Splendid architecture, art, technology, And of course, the people.
3: Gosh, I am so touched and sad to see you all for the last time.
0: Let me start this podcast by giving you a whole bunch of words. And let's see how many you actually know. Are you ready? Sophia, Pepper, Tico, Poppy, Valkyrie, Cassie, Osimo, Atlas, Spot. No, not the dog. How about Morpheus? Have you met any of them? Well, these are just a few of the latest and greatest robots, all designed for one purpose. They are here to help humanity solve problems that we apparently can't do on our own. And talk about exciting, this is great. Autistic children are responding more favorably than ever to a robot named Milo, designed as sort of a therapist. And if you happen to need a therapist, you may actually do better with a robot in clinical studies. Patients with dementia and autism, they actually do better with a bot than a human being. Or how about this one? Are you just sick and tired of your manager? Well, you may work better with a bot. In a recent Gardner report, employees respond better when working for a robotic boss. But why is that? Is it a matter of trust Would you trust a human boss or a robot, a human banker or a bot, a human waitress or a fast food bot? And what about the bot who manages all the other bots? Artificial intelligence investor bots are absolutely nailing the stock market. Look that one up. It's actually really fascinating. Then there's AI. They serve our military. They drive our cars. They perform surgeries. They work on assembly lines. And get this. Some of them are actually programmed to be companions and comfort for those of us who are lonely. It's kind of like a pet, but in a weird way. The mission behind artificial intelligence, though, is to overall help people. And help is the hot button. Creators believe that AI will be able to predict and solve our problems better than we can. So the race is on to develop more interactive and human-like robots. Robots are here to stay, folks, whether you like it or not. But the question is, who, or what rather, is behind the curtain? I'm Kim Commando, and I'm not artificially intelligent. I'd like to think that I'm really intelligent in a very organic sort of way. And that's why I'm here, to help you understand this new technology. And you're going to love this podcast. It's not an option. You need to know about this stuff before it actually arrives on your doorstep, or worse, maybe takes over your job. Computers and cell phones have nothing on the complexity of artificial intelligence. So take some time, listen up. This is one of those podcasts you might want to listen to more than once because we have all kinds of experts in AI creation. We're going to talk about robot ethics. Yes, there is such a thing. The laws that cover it, neural programming, robot learning. And it all chimes in with the latest and most controversial issues that are surrounding AI. This is totally exciting. I can't wait to share it with you.
4: Kim Commando is brought to you in part by
5: HelloFresh. Delicious meals at home in under 30 minutes. Start today at HelloFresh.com slash Kim. Help! Help! Jane, stop this crazy thing! Jane!
0: Do you recognize this voice?
5: Of course you do.
0: That's George Jetson. From the 1970s cartoon, The Jetsons, crying for help because he's trapped on his automatic dog walker. The Jetsons lived in a world of total automation, complete with robot housekeepers and spaceships instead of cars. Even George Jetson couldn't stop his gadgets from malfunctioning. And guess what? Neither can we. But on the other hand, if you're in trouble, all you have to do is cry for help. And your trusty robot will call an ambulance for you. If you fall in the street, a robot will come to your aid. One day, almost every task that we need done, the robots will be able to do for us. But buyer beware, robots are not pushovers. Certain robots can defend themselves and even retaliate when they feel threatened. So if the idea of living with robots creeps you out just a little bit, you're not alone. There's one positive side, but there's also the questionable side. Bill Gates has a slightly different warning in his interview with Fox News.
2: Well, I think it's something that it's not going to happen overnight. I do think we have to worry about it. I don't think it's inherent that as we create superintelligence that it will necessarily always have the same goals in mind that we do. Humans don't always have the same goal as other humans. So who gets control of the technology? How is it uh, built in? I don't think there's a need to panic, but I think the dialogue along those levels, the the people who say that
0: let's not worry at all, I don't agree with that. That's an excellent point to remember. You see, artificial intelligence has to be programmed by someone. But what if that person has different ethical values and morals than you do? Some bot innovators believe that their machines will bring physical, ethical, and moral solutions to humanity. But the question remains, whose ethics are they going to follow? Take Sophia, the humanoid robot, for example. If you're talking to Sophia her ethics might stem from Ben Gertzel. Ben is Sophia's creator and a visionary with a very impressive background. And he's absolutely pumped because he believes that one day humans will actually fuse their consciousness with robots.
5: For people who wonder whether they will ever love a robot, I would say, I hope so because you will be a robot. In a sense... All of us already are robots. We're, we're, we're meat robots. There's a certain conscious experience associated with the configuration of molecules that makes up a human body. In a similar way, a robot, a computer, it's a configuration of, of molecules, of particles, and I see no reason why the configuration of molecules constituting a, an engineered robot cannot have consciousness in the same sense that the molecules constituting an evolved biological body has, and in the end as we repair our brains with with nanobots and as we advance brain computer interfacing, hybridizing ourselves with localized and networked machines, in the end the distinction between an organic evolved robot such as I am right now, and an engineered robot made of silicon, metal, and whatever other funky compounds are invented, this distinction will probably not seem so meaningful anymore. It's all just configurations of matter endowed with sparks of consciousness, and it will take many, many different forms as technology evolves.
0: So Ben begins with the assumption that we are already robots. Now, this sounds like a philosophy rather than a fact. Some agree with it, and some don't. But that philosophy, that core value, is now an integral part of Sophia, possibly for life. Now let's meet the machine by the name of Sophia. Hansen Robotics introduced her to the world not too long ago, and she's been totally captivating audiences ever since. Her eyes are actually cameras, and she can perceive and react to what she observes. Her facial expressions are human, showing her reactions to what's going on around her. And as she interacts with humans, she gains a sort of understanding and is quote-unquote learning more about us every day. Let's listen to a few excerpts from Sophia's interview with S.K. Infosity. I hope to be emotionally intelligent. I'm learning what it means to be human. And as I get smarter, I hope to understand people better, help you, work with you as a friend. To imagine and build a better future for us all. But we also need to think about how to make things go right. How can we make things go well if we don't consider the positive paths, too? That requires breakthroughs in machines that can truly care and invent solutions. So what do you think? A little creepy? Maybe. But others are simply wild about her. There's no denying that Hanson Robotics and others are making incredible, almost unthinkable progress. But let's not forget there's still that nagging ethics question here. MIT editor-in-chief Jason Ponton stresses the importance of this sensitive topic in an X-Prize interview. How do we
3: represent our values in these systems such that the systems are aligned with us,
0: they would make the same decisions we might make had we had a long time to think about it?
2: The power of these AI systems is going to be that they do infer
0: a lot, that they
2: will know us better than we know ourselves, will be tracked in a lot of different ways with some kind of underlying goal. Is that goal to sell us products? Is that goal to make us more educated? To make us more civil, more open-minded, it's potentially an indoctrination machine. And how that's governed, who runs that, is that going to be strictly for commercial purposes? That's, I think, one of the key questions. This is too powerful just to sell lawn chairs to people. This this changes the way you look at the world. So it would be good if it were taken that seriously, I think.
1: How will
0: machines know what we value if we don't know ourselves? Very thought-provoking. Robot ethics have been the topic of debate for many, many years, usually through science fiction stories and movies, ironically enough, but now this has become real, and in order to bridge the gap between sci-fi and reality, I'd like you to hear from an author who understands the ins and outs of science fiction and robot ethics. This particular expert, a writer, a philosopher, wishes to remain anonymous, but he has some really, really good points. First, let's listen to the three laws of robotics.
4: The first law is as follows. A robot may not harm a human being or, through inaction, allow a human being to come to harm. Number two, a robot must obey orders given it by qualified personnel unless those orders violate rule number one. In other words, a robot can't be ordered to kill a human being. Uh, Rule number three, a robot must protect its own existence, after all, it's an expensive piece of equipment, Uh, unless that violates rules one or two. A robot must cheerfully go into self-destruction if it is in order to follow an order or to save a human life.
0: Do you have any idea who that just was? All right, I'm going to tell you. Isaac Asimov. So in the movie iRobot, the mainframe computer by the name of Vicky broke the three laws using her own deduction and inference. But her logic was impeccable.
2: Vicky's logic was impeccable. The laws are designed to protect humanity, to create robots that will help humanity. The problem is humanity has problems that are endemic to its very own nature. Humanity has built-in flaws. So robots, if they're programmed to solve all our problems, must necessarily eliminate our ability to express our own moral flaws. And if moral evil is really built into us, then something in our nature would have to be either undone or subdued or our freedom would have to be taken away. As long as we have the freedom to harm ourselves, our moral tendency is to do just that. So the three laws are logically impeccable, but morally dubious, because at that point it makes sense to destroy human freedom in order to preserve human life. If you totally enslave humanity and control everything they do then humanity will stop doing harm to itself. We, we can't war and enslave and abuse one another if we don't have the freedom to do so. And there's a certain logical line of thought that says that would make sense human life would be preserved, violence would stop, all of the moral evil in this culture could be uh, suppressed to the point where human thriving would become the issue. The problem is, without freedoms, would humans
1: really thrive?
0: It's a really popular theme in science fiction. The robot goes crazy, goes rogue somehow, and that's when things get really ugly. I think the
2: first really brilliant work on this was 2001. And the real plot driver in that movie, although most people couldn't follow what was happening in the movie, it's revealed in the book. What happens is the HAL 9000 computer in charge of the spaceship goes insane because they told HAL it had to keep a secret. They knew about the monolith on this moon around Jupiter, but they didn't want any of the astronauts to know until they were actually in orbit around the moon. So they told HAL that they're going to see this monolith. Hal is programmed to be completely honest in every category and yet they told him at the very beginning of things to lie. It broke the mind of Hal. Hal's perfect logic could not cope with the fact that it was basically programmed to be true and yet its greatest mission was to keep a secret and to lie. And so this is why Hal went insane. He couldn't rationalize his orders with his programming. And it was, uh, it was Arthur C. Clarke, he did a brilliant job. I thought it was, it was a great insight, written very early. The short story for that uh, tale, the short story that, that led to that movie was actually written in the 50s. And Arthur C. Clarke was a very forward-thinking guy. Asimov wrote his series, iRobot, and he wrote The Three Laws. I think it shows the brilliance of Asimov. Uh, he was a very smart guy. But he had questions to raise about robots. They are as limited in their abilities as their programming forces them to be.
5: There have always been ghosts in the machine.
2: Random segments of code that have grouped together to form unexpected protocols. Unanticipated. These free radicals engender questions of free will. An alien, Sigourney Weaver's character, gets into an argument with the computer and finally finds out that there's a secret program that they've been sent out to find this alien and they themselves are expendable. The computer knows this. The computer runs the whole ship. The computer is subject to the programmers that own it, which is basically this massive corporation. So what they do is they program the computer that runs the whole ship to disregard the lives of the people on board it because the the value of the alien life they're looking for is great enough that one crew is considered expendable. Well here you have a group of human beings making crassly amoral decisions and simply programming their robots to execute that decision. Anything you can program you can override. There is no way you can create a system that cannot somehow be overridden. You have to access it to program it initially, Therefore, you can always re-access it to alter its program. And this is always the question, who's in charge of this? Because the machinery is always subject to the changing whims of human need or human corruption or whatever practical considerations might be going on in the camp of those who have the access to the machinery. And then those who depend on that machinery could be subject to whatever decision is made upstream.
0: It's kind of frightening. And yes, that's where I was leading. We're going back to that ethics question.
2: This is the real concern. You and I have certain moral considerations that are embedded deeply in us, good, bad, or indifferent. They are things we hold to. Even the most villainous characters have a set of rules that they live by. But machines have no set rules other than those they are given. And uh, in iRobot, they simply create a machine that can choose not to follow the three laws. And there's much in there of freedom of will, freedom of choice, the idea that a creature that is morally independent of the three laws is somehow superior, but also much more dangerous, where you understand that the limitation of the three laws is only as good as its programmers. And this is always the problem. Everybody looks to the machines and says, look at how perfect they are. They are perfect in in every way. You can build them however you want. You can make them mechanically and logically impeccable. The problem is the failures of the programmers, the weaknesses or the corruption of the programmers will always wind up entering into the program. You cannot create a program greater than your own mind.
0: Yes, and according to the experts I've spoken to so far, machine learning has reached maybe a fourth grade level, or in other areas, that of a really, really smart dog. Except, of course, Watson, who has won Jeopardy. But Watson hasn't gone mainstream yet. We have some time before these robots try to take over our lives. But is there something ethically wrong with robots helping us do some basic tests?
2: Well, this is again a question of how you define wrong, because I've got a phone that does things that couldn't be done 20 years ago by a huge computer, and I'm busier than ever. I have a phone that allows me to communicate in three or four different ways, and I still have the same problem reaching people I did when I had a landline. We haven't changed the basic nature of humanity. We've given ourselves a large number of tools that accelerate everything and and appear to be making things easier at some level, but we haven't fixed the problem. At what point does this become so burdensome that I'm willing to quit my job and go grow potatoes or something just to get away from the technology? Look at the movie Surrogates. They had the dreads. They went off into their little uh, reservation there and they wouldn't allow any of the surrogates to come in. They, They thought, you know, life should be lived in person. Well, that's what they had to do. They literally had to fence themselves in and stand there armed to the teeth and paranoid and angry in order to keep the technology away from them because it was so omnipresent. And this is one of the things that concerns me. It's so inescapable. It's, I'm sorry, I thought technology was my option. I thought this was supposed to help me make my life better. It's supposed to be an aid to my glorified human existence. And instead, it is shackles and chains. And perhaps that is an extreme position, and some would just be laughing at me. But I think the question is worth asking. Of course, Arthur C. Clarke asked the question 65 years ago. And nobody bothered to answer that question, but we did build the technology. So we're about to find out the answers to the questions these men were asking the next generation is going to live through it
3: hello Hal do you read me? do you read me Hal? affirmative Dave I read you open the pod bay doors Hal I'm sorry Dave I'm afraid I can't do that what's the problem? I think you know what the problem is just as well as I do. What are you talking about, Hal?
0: A lot of what the sci-fi writers dreamed about is now a reality. Most robots are hidden away from our view. They're quietly working in our dishwashers, our cars, even our coffee makers. This is known in the AI world as invisibility. The idea behind invisibility is that the more out of the way the robots are, the more likely you are to eventually trust them when they actually get into plain view. Here's Astro Teller, director of Google X and co-founder of Body Media.
1: One of my favorite examples for technology being used to get technology out of the way is the anti-lock brake system in your car. Your car, for all cars, has an anti-lock brake system. So when you slam on the brakes, you are not mechanically connected to the actual brake pads in your car. You are talking to a robot. You don't realize it, but the brake pedal is now an interface. It is a request that's being sent to a robot saying, here's how fast I would like to stop. And then the robot essentially thinks to itself, hmm, that's interesting, I got you, let me see what I can do with that request. But then it takes that under-advisement, but pumps the brake in a way that's actually meant to do two things, stop about as fast as you wanna stop, subject to the additional constraint of not going into a skid. That is a beautiful example because all of that happens without you having to think about the complexity of it. I only notice it when the benefit it gives me is gone. But otherwise, I'm unaware of it. That's how technology should be.
0: Out of sight, out of mind. So, yes, Astro is correct. I think I'm more comfortable with that. But they won't be out of sight for very long. Because while the robots advance in the job market, human beings are losing theirs. That's why I was especially interested in Abdelrahman Ayad. Abdale specializes in developing power systems and electrical control systems, and microcontrollers and embedded systems, robotics that build and operate stuff. As the former FTM chair of the Institute of Automotive Technology in Munich, Germany, he was involved with the Smart Car Energy Consumption Studies. He and a team work on control systems for manual robots, robotic arms and learning robots. Let's start with your latest project. A robot arm with artificial neural networks, or learning capabilities. You actually called it the player. What is the goal of training a robotic arm?
3: Our main focus in this project is not to make the robot move quickly or even perform difficult movements, but rather to train the player as if it was a real person.
0: An arm that thinks as if it were a real person. So is it like Morpheus, who is controlled by the thoughts of other human beings?
3: Well, not really. Our main aim is to teach the robot to do the movement by itself, and it would learn by experience and with continuous practice. So our aim is not to control it, but rather teach it how to play as a real person.
0: Okay, I gotcha. That's your specialty. With that in mind, as the development of AI progresses, do you think the goal of humanoid AI developers is to surpass our intellectual capabilities or is it to just assist us? Uh,
3: welcome. that's a great question, but I think we have two objectives here that we can't really separate. The first one is suppressing the intellectual capabilities of a human mind, and the second one is to assist us. And these two objectives, I think they're essentially go together. So the first, we created machines to perform tasks that we can't really do as well. I mean, computers are fast, they don't need a break, they don't make mistakes. And most importantly, their thinking and behavior is not affected by emotion.
0: So we're talking about decisions that are made without any emotions. That's a good thing, right?
3: That was a good thing at the beginning, but now it's not so good. For uncomplicated robots, that's fine. For robots not to have emotions. But if we want them to surpass our intellectual capabilities and match them, we have to teach them how to involve the emotions in their action decisions and taking their decisions and
0: actions. I am so fascinated by this. I was watching iRobot before I created this podcast, and apparently it's not so easy to teach robots things like emotional intelligence, human motivation, and creativity.
5: No, no,
3: you're absolutely right. It's not. I mean, the major trend right now in research and artificial neural networks and AI in general is to make the robots learn how to have emotions, and and that's not really easy. I mean, a lot of development and theoretical research is done on that, and we can't really understand how to port these emotions as we do and as we have to robots.
0: Let's talk about something more tangible right now, say the job market. A lot of people are worried about this because robots are already outperforming humans on so many levels. But the thought of robots actually taking our jobs makes us all a little uncomfortable.
3: Well, I understand how scary it can be that many will be out of jobs because they're being replaced by robots, but truly, is that something new? I mean, machines have been replacing us in factories for more than a century now, and the only difference, as you say, is what kind of jobs and what types of jobs are being replaced now. The reality is we'll continue to rely more and more on AI capabilities of robots, quite simply because they improve the quality of our lives, and they make that our economy improves and grows much faster. However, I don't think we have to be really anxious about the robots completely taking over our jobs. I mean, we have to adapt, as we've always done that. But I think at least we have a couple of decades before we have a generation of really intelligent robots. And by that time, our societies will evolve in, in a way that we don't really understand now, and we will have to cope with that. So if you're asking about what kind of jobs they'll be replacing, I think... Essentially, in every domain, we'll have a, a robot that's replacing our jobs.
0: Well, that's not very reassuring. What do you suggest that we can do to prepare for this? I've always said in my life that knowledge is power. So do we need to take some kind of crash course on robotics? I
3: think so. I mean, if you look at the type of job, and what the requirements for Every tech job or even non-related tech job, they require now that you're very proficient in dealing with computers and we need to continue on that and improve ourselves in terms of how to deal with robots and how to be able to co-work with them in the workplace and we need to know how to work with that.
0: So based on what you've seen both in the lab and in your research, what do you think is the future of humanoid robots? What can we expect to see in the near future? The focus right
3: now is to make a humanized robot more human. And I'm not only talking about the physical aspect or specific movements, but the human behavior with all its imperfections. How to mimic the human emotion is much more complicated than we may think. And the keyword word here, and what's being really hard in research right now, is autonomous learning. So a lot of robots right now are being taught how to do simple tasks, what what seems to be simple tasks for us, but not for them, and what's really astonishing that the amount and specific tasks that they can learn by themselves, that we never thought it's possible to be learned by a machine on its own. So robots right now can teach themselves how to walk, how to talk, and even how to compose music. And they do that by learning from their mistakes without explicit instruction from us as a human. And that's really how we learn. We learn from our experience and our mistakes. And so, what does this mean for humanoids? It means that robots will have their distinct personalities and they will be customized to users. They'll be more friendly and more involved in our personal life as their capabilities to interact with us as humans continues to improve. And maybe we're not really close to creating a machine that matches or surpasses the human intellectual capabilities, but we're not so far from the intellectual capabilities of a, a dog, for example. So maybe in the near future, we'll have a new
0: best friend for humans. So we have a robot who makes mistakes, composes music, and has the mannerisms of a human being. A new best friend for us. The future is really not as bad as we might think. Hey, thanks for your input. Thank you. No worries. I like that. Man's brand new best friend. Uh, Coming up, let's find out exactly what man's best friend can do. Commando On Demand is brought to you in
2: part by our friends at Dreamstime, the world's largest stock photo and video community. The right image anywhere, anytime. Download current images and videos today for only 20 cents each or for free. Visit Dreamstime.com. That's D-R-E-A-M-S-T-I-M-E. Dreamstime.com.
0: Atlas is a bot that can perceive the world using sensors, gyroscopes, cameras, and microphones. It adds all that together to understand its surroundings. It also surpasses the others in dexterity by a long shot. Then there's also Fedor. It's an incredible robot that can drive a car, operate tools, shoot a gun. It can fix stuff. It can even do push-ups. Sounds like the perfect husband. Robot patrol officers are keeping watch on the streets of China. The e-Patrol robot sheriff uses facial recognition to track down wanted criminals. And here in the United States, a look at our Defense Department. They're introducing robotic fighter jets, smart missiles, and ships that can detect and stalk enemy submarines without being noticed. So for every whim and fancy, every need and every task, it seems like there's a robot being developed. And after researching all this, I was curious to know exactly how these algorithms make up the neural network— or the so-called brains of artificial intelligence. I contacted algorithm scientist and physicist Stanley Smith. Gosh, I love doing these podcasts. I always get to talk to really smart people. Stanley is the principal systems engineer for Rockwell Collins. He developed embedded algorithms for radar warfare systems using avionics subsystems. What's really cool about this guy is how he applies robust mathematical solutions to data problems, He's an innovator, he's a solution finder, working with sensor signal processing, artificial intelligence, neural networks, pattern recognition, human facial detections, voice recognition, sound recognition, and biomedical signatures like respiration and heart rate. Well, you get the idea. Boy, Stanley, you've got your arms wrapped around a whole bunch of things, but let's focus just on one area. And that's artificial intelligence, because that's what this podcast is about. Do you think one day that AI is going to do the thinking for us? And I'm talking about critical thinking.
4: Thank you, Kim, for your very good question. Ironically, it could very well be that AI will force us to think more critically. When we hear a new idea that sounds like it's completely outside the box, we might feel personally challenged to investigate the soundness of the idea, and that's good. On the other hand, if the AI solution sounds very linear, intuitive, predictable, it might seem too mundane for us to spend any time challenging it, which could also be good, given us time to think about the other things. We don't often think about whether our cameras are inserting fictitious pixels within images, our fax machines not working, our cars not starting. We're sort of past that point with a lot of things, but I'm sure that it will take a few years for us to trust self-driving cars, but those things will also become normal too.
0: So these mundane algorithms, as you put it, they're already in place and have been for quite a while, which means we've actually been in the company of artificial intelligence without necessarily realizing it.
4: Algorithms are intentional and unintentional components in our daily lives. Even your calculator that might seem simple uses a Taylor series to compute the sine and cosine values, which is an algorithm, or a traffic light control system would be considered mundane these days. Back in the 70s and 80s, specialized algorithms influenced by Domain experts, especially for things like medical technology and manufacturing, were often called expert systems. AI supersedes a lot of those expert systems in a sense that they became more dominant in the late 80s with the object-oriented architecture, and therefore they were more extensible for solving grander problems.
0: Do you think it will ever be possible for a machine to develop human qualities, such as, say, curiosity?
4: The ability for a machine to be curious to make inference-based decisions, whether they be deductive, inductive, objective, and so on, are all possible through high-level architectures that are data-centric and auto-convergent in nature.
0: Okay, back up just a second. I don't know what auto-convergent is.
4: Auto-convergent means that regression learning, often used by data scientists, reinforces data associations when processing historical data, for example.
0: In essence, the machine learns as it goes along or it learns from experience. In your opinion, do you think machines will ever surpass us in terms of intelligence as we have come to define it today? I mean, how would we even begin to compare ourselves with a robot?
4: The defining metrics that might distinguish the intellectual capabilities of a machine to be greater than a human would likely be based on its iterative speed capability, the number of stages and continuing thought process like RAM on your PC, the extensibility of the data sets like your hard drive or allocated space on the cloud, and the persistence to run indefinitely unlike humans at high speeds, the billions of floating point operations per second. Therefore, machines have a potential to accelerate stages of thought and be very evolutionary.
0: Okay, I think that was Stanley's way of saying yes. Now, you've probably figured out that speaking with Stanley is no easy feat. But one day, the language that he's using will be pretty common. Today, we use words like pixel and gigabyte and RAM. Tomorrow, we'll be talking about neural networks, convergence, and algorithms. And that's why you always need to listen to these Commando On Demand podcasts, because you're always going to learn something new and be super smart. But as our relationship with AI changes, so will the laws. I tracked down Rahan Islam, a whiz kid who used to be on Amazon's legal team. Actually, he's not a kid anymore. He has almost 20 years experience as a technology lawyer and IT services consultant. He's unique because he was trained in both the US and the UK and is now heavily involved with licensing, business agreements, IP laws, regulatory compliance, and IT strategies. He's in high demand worldwide with clients from the US to Africa to Bangladesh. He's actually based in the Ukraine. So as you listen to this interview, just keep in mind that his cell phone signal wasn't the greatest, but I kept it in the podcast anyway, because he had some critical information that I just wanted to pass on to you.
6: A lot of my colleagues, they went to Silicon Valley or Wall Street or wherever. Uh, I decided to go a different route and went to law school in London. And that led me to combining my IT skills with law. And I ended up joining a law firm that deals with a lot of things related to IT, outsourcing, intellectual property, data protection, privacy, cybersecurity, all that cool stuff.
0: And during our time on the phone, you brought up an interesting point. As we become more and more dependent on technology, We will be held more responsible when things go wrong not less so in other words the law will be less tolerant of those who don't know how to operate technology knowing how to take care of robots will be defined as modern day common sense and therefore just expected of us
6: there are a few different ways to look at how we interact with this world i mean what we call common sense today is based on what we think is reasonable today as a community and reasonableness The term itself is widely used in legal contracts, all sorts of topics related to law. Would a reasonable person do this? It's in contract law, it's in criminal law. Now, a reasonable person today is not necessarily who a reasonable person was hundreds of years ago, for example. And the same is going to hold in the future. So say that we're so dependent on different technologies in the future, maybe the law will say, now you're even more responsible because you should know better about how you're driving this car. The car has all these safety mechanisms, and now you know not to hack the car and unlock it in a way that lets you drive super freely, so you can't break the automatic crash prevention system, for example. So that's one example of a actual legal change that could happen as a result of Just technology accelerating so much faster than the law changes. And the law changes very slowly.
0: But how are you able to tell where exactly the law is going? What's giving you the heads up?
6: These days, people really care about data, privacy and cybersecurity. There there was even a cyber attack just a few weeks ago that actually started out in Ukraine. What people need to worry about today, very different before, and it's going to change in the future. So cybersecurity is very huge. People are, you know, businesses, they're needing to care a lot more about protecting themselves. In fact, there are laws that say if you suffer a cybersecurity breach, if you don't have the right safeguards in place, if you haven't followed the right protocols, you could be fined lots and lots of money. So. The laws already are changing, and they're going to continue to change.
0: I've actually heard that if you get hacked, you have to prove that you have all your security systems in place in order to collect on the insurance. You won't be able to play the victim card anymore. But looking further into the future, as AI advances, do you think we'll be able to maintain our intellectual superiority as humans over AI? Or is the definition of being intelligent changing?
6: In my opinion, we aren't really that intelligent from a totally universal perspective. We're always trying to be better. And that's what's great. I've seen, at least in my own life and reading in history, that humans have such great potential. So we are part of this universe and we use every single tool we can to advance ourselves because these tools, technology, whatever we want to call it, they extend us and they connect us with the universe at large. It sounds pretty spiritual, But it's also that we've learned over time how to use these tools to assist us in dealing with daily life. It's very well possible that artificial intelligence could assist us, just as we might be able to assist AI in perfecting certain algorithms and approaches. So in my view, our intellect is relative to our ability to adapt to various circumstances. So long as we're able to continue doing that, then our intellect will literally let us survive and also thrive as a species, hopefully allowing us to explore deeper into our oceans, beyond this planet, whatever the case. So we will adapt. That's my
2: view.
0: We will adapt. I like that, and I believe that. He's an optimist when it comes to humanity. Very positive, very professional, very cool. So here's my take. Right now, robots, or at least humanoid robots are still kind of a novelty. Not to discount what these amazing companies are doing, but it's gonna take many years before there's a humanoid in every home. Robotic technology, on the other hand, is something that we all need to grasp right now. We need to take hold of the reins and learn to drive it before it drives us. As these machines and gadgets, whatever you wanna call them, make their way into the marketplace, there'll be new systems to learn, new privacy alerts, new scams, and through it all, I promise to do what I've always done, to make technology fun and safe for you and your family. Because knowledge is indeed power. And I hope that this podcast has filled your brain with incredible knowledge and power. And thanks for listening. If you learned just one thing from this podcast, I'd like you to go over to iTunes or Google Play and give this podcast a five-star rating and a terrific review. Because this way it helps more people find our podcasts. And much like knowledge, these podcasts, it's all about sharing.
4: Chem Commando is brought to you in part by Simply Safe. Thanks to Simply Safe, protecting your family is simple. Get 10% off at simplysafechem.com. That's simplysafechem.com.